Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com and I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me as always is Benno, uh, but also joining us this month from the Pro Wrestling Torch and some listeners might also know him from a certain four and a half hour podcast he once did with Will Cullen and Andy Quilden, he's a rich fan. Rich, thanks for joining us on the show this month. Yeah, absolutely happy to be here and I promise I will keep it under Two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> Famous like, last words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, before we get into wrestling, I mean, this is going to be the last sort of BWE of 2020. I mean, a hellish year for most people. It's nearly over, guys. Um, I think a lot of us can't wait to be out of 2020, Benno. I mean, all ready for Christmas this year. You're feeling all festive um, after the year we've had? Yeah, I'm kind of slowly getting to the spirit of things. It just, I can't believe it's it's basically two weeks away and i know that sounds like the most obvious thing to say but this year especially of all years it's just we've all had so much to get through to get to this point and yeah it is kind of nice to have that and the maybe the promise of a, a bit of normality after christmas too mm. um i think we all need it don't we after this uh this shit show of a year we've had um we had that little little glimpse of, of life didn't we in the summer and then we all got locked down again and now Feels like we're all starting to crawl out again. Uh, I managed to be uh, out at the weekend. Had a, it was nice to be sat in a pub again, having a few pints, even if they made you uh, get you get a meal with your drink. Mm. Uh, there was oh, one I place was I went to. How many to. scotch eggs did you have? Oh, mate, there was one place I went to. Right, you say that joke, but there was a place I went to where every time you bought a drink, you had to buy a five-pound slice of pizza. <laughs> and I say slice of pizza. This was a slice of cold, what might as well be plastic pizza that was basically just an ornament that you put on the table so that you technically had food and you were drinking, so you were allowed to stay. Like, there's so many places trying to bend the rules, um, but you know, I had a good time, so it was worth it. Yeah, so basically, Rich, over here, if you want to go out to a bar, if you're in Tier 2, if you're lucky enough to be in Tier 2 like Benno is in Liverpool... Um, you, you can only have a drink in a bar if you have what is classified as a substantial meal. So there's been all this debate about what's uh, classified as a <laughs> substantial meal in Britain. Seemingly a scotch egg uh, classifies, if you to believe uh, some members of parliament. But um, over, there, <laughs> over there in uh, Pittsburgh, how's it, how's it going over there? Are you guys uh, are you having lockdowns or what's happening over Christmas? Are you, are you feeling festive this year at all? I am. I think my every year, even outside of the pandemic, my wife and son are far more festive than I am. They spend most of the weekend putting the tree up and getting everything out of the basement because uh, I have like an allotment in our basement area because my wife is the queen of here in the States. Every month there's probably a holiday you can pull out and she probably has a front door wreath to celebrate <laughs> it. And so I, it, the only way to keep myself sane is to keep that stuff organized. So it was time to get the tree out and all the ornaments and all that fun stuff. So they had a great job with that. And right now we're in a weird spot. Like I work for university here. And so we're in a position where I'm work, I've been working from home with the exception of like a month and a half before uh, Halloween here that then led to us going back in after so many people had positives in the area. And we're on pins and needles because I believe at some point today, our, the governor of our state's going to announce what the new restrictions are. Right. And it's most likely going to remove indoor eating, which honestly, given the, the, the easier spread, it makes sense. But uh, it, I'm sure it's just like for you all in, in uh, England. It's, it's an issue because there's so many mom and pop places that have already closed because they can't afford. Like We're not getting any federal support, really. 
So a lot of small places, like there's a place I used to go to for chili dogs outside of University of Pittsburgh where I work. And it closed really early during the pandemic. And that was a place that had been open for 40 some odd years. Wow. And so that that sort of stuff you're seeing in real time, you know, when I drive into work or I drive to grab stuff to come bring back home, you're seeing a place that, you know, the original hot dog shop was its name. And, you know, that had been around for generations of folks and it's gone. And, you know, while here in the States, we're not the, uh, you know, we have pockets of soccer supporters. You know, you have your soccer bars, and those are usually in a lot more well-to-do areas that have been gentrified. So mm-hmm. they're now even feeling the bang because you don't have that money coming in, and you have a high rent because you're in a gentrified area. And so it's it's these unintended consequences of uh, people kind of being loosey goosey with the rules and. It, it, it's it's unfortunate, but I think we've been trying to keep happy, especially, like I said, I got an eight-year-old, so I try to keep him his spirits up. At some point, he'll probably come in and punch me and then run out <laughs> of the room. So if you hear me hit the floor, it's just because he's he's getting his respect and getting it early. He teats it like he's the bit, the baddest dude at the yard, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're locked in with him instead of him being locked in with us. Well, future boxing champ there on your hands, I think, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I think Benno, yeah, I think it's the same over here in the UK. I mean, wasn't in, in mm-hmm. Debenhams that's been around since the 1800s. That's on the verge of closing down. That's like a big department store over here, Rich. Um, yeah, so mm-hmm. it seems everywhere's sort of in the same place. But Benno, finally got the vaccine rolling out in England. Um, are, you, are you eager and excited to uh, to get this Pfizer vaccine in you? Oh, 100%. Yeah, like, I'm hoping we get to be the guinea pigs again up in uh, up in Liverpool. Like, cause, like I mentioned there, because I was out at the weekend, I think I got, I got two tests before before then uh, and two tests after because we've been, we were the lucky ones to pilot the uh, the regular COVID testing with it with no symptoms. So I'm really hopeful that, uh, yeah, we get something similar with this vaccine because it is just, it sounds too good to be true. I know you're near the front of the queue with, uh, with your line of work, Martin. So hopefully that comes soon for you. Um, but yeah, it will be. It'll just make life a lot easier, a lot easier, won't it? I don't think we're ever ever getting back to normal. But it, even if you know we can start all going out again, even if we maybe still have to distance and wear masks, if if things can open and be relatively normal, like that's what a vaccine can give us. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully all of our listeners are going to do it as well. You see a lot of uh, a lot of fake news on the old uh, Facebook and other places <laughs> like that about oh, vaccines, which, which must make you uh, pull your hair out, Martin. Like. Uh, like you know, where can where you were because you know, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna make that joke. I thought I'd let you make it, um, but yeah, like I see a lot of that, and it's just, uh, especially where I live, where you know the the vaccine deniers and the people who are saying oh, they're not God. gonna get it. As long as the majority of people go for it, I think you know life could be a lot better. You know, early next year. So let's hope. But yeah, I'm sure you're praying for it too. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a tease at the hospital now because we keep getting these emails saying like, oh, well, we're going to roll it out in here and then we're going to roll it out there and then maybe like next week, um, you know, you guys can start uh, making appointments for it and stuff. So everyone's sort of like rubbing their hands together waiting for uh, waiting to see when when we can have it. But it's looking like before Christmas. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But, um, Rich, I, uh, you mentioned it earlier. I heard you're an Arsenal fan as well. Uh, not, go- <laughs> not going very well this year, is it? It isn't, but it, 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 I mean, it isn't. And I mean, I, as I, you know, I wasn't sure what the schedule was and, you know, when we were planning this, uh, you know, it just, I just watched them beat Dundalk, uh, four, two in the Euro league. And I, I think the biggest thing for them is paying the sins for, uh, bad management above either the manager or head coach, depending on who was there or who got fired. Uh, I, I, I think absentee ownership, 
And this is where I've mentioned to Will and I've mentioned to anyone in the UK who would listen several times. I'm sorry for the American taint that sometimes shows up in uh, uh, the the Premier League. And and I I think they're trying to figure it out. And uh, I think Arteta is a guy you want to keep. But the big thing is you have to give him at least three transfer windows and you have to not make knee jerk reactions. I honestly felt that, especially here in the United States, watching you know, on television, the background muted, they have the LA Rams. If, if you can pay for a billion dollar stadium cash without NFL money, you can give more than 50 million pounds to your new head coach who just won you an FA cup to, to get players. If you want to get back to the champions league, I, I I think they got to get some work done there. I think there's some dead wood that has to go. I am one of the few Arsenal fans. I think that still support Mesut Ozil. I think he, like any other sport, is a guy where he's always had the same personality, but the people around him changed, and you shouldn't expect him to change. Uh, or wrestle. If you if you sign Randy Orton to a ten year contract, and in year three you're like, well, Randy, I think you need to speed it up a little. That's you. That's a you problem. That's not a Randy Orton problem. And so I think it's the same thing with Ozil. And uh, uh, actually, I was really proud that I had a chance to have uh, uh, Arsenal's own. Uh, Gunner blog on my show, the deep dive on the torch to talk about his fandom of Arsenal and wrestling and journalism and both sides. And uh, that was cool. And also how Tony Khan is uh, hilariously the bridge that ties them both because his over uh, access, as you guys are well aware with uh, uh, Fulham kind of mm. blew up in his face when they got relegated two years, two, two and a half years ago. And now with AEW, it's the same thing. He's very available, but then compared to the field in terms of wrestling promoters, owners, he's kind of ahead of the curve. And so it's a really strange dynamic. But that, that, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. And hopefully, you know, they're mid-table and they deserve to be mid-table. But my hope is that by end of it, uh, if they can qualify through Europa and get to the Champions League, great. If they can get fifth, sixth, I, I don't think fourth is. Uh, in in the cards uh but for the love of god someone make sure tottenham doesn't do it because <laughs> i i think i think the dry heaves like that day as they lift the truck that takes all the arguments away right like at, the, yeah. at that point that's the big that's the big gun yeah that's it i i, I hope they just turn it around because like i've never said this to jp because like he'd enjoy it too much but i've always seen arsenal as like my second team and the fact that you've got like Mikel arteta as your manager as a as a big Everton fan, that just makes me like you as more. But similar to Everton, you just can't rely on you. It's like you know, Martin, you've been doing the fancy football for the first time this year, and like one of my one of my biggest lessons in playing fancy Premier League is just don't trust Arsenal. Everywhere, everyone gets on the bandwagon and is like signing like the the cheap defender like Gibbs one year, or you know someone who, who starts playing. You never get any clean sheets. Everyone gets on the bandwagon. It's like, oh, Aubameyang's going crazy. Get Aubameyang in. He just goes quiet and looks like he yeah. doesn't even want to be there anymore these last few games. You just can't. Mm-hmm. Everton are the same, but you just can't trust Arsenal, unfortunately. And at the other team, like, I, I really like. Um, I think you found that too, Martin. It's funny because I work with a, a big Arsenal fan, David, and um, I support Rotherham, who obviously the league below. And I was like, oh, we're going to have... Um, obviously, Rotherham's like the town over from where I live in Sheffield. And then I went, oh, Dave, are we going to have... Um, uh, a lads away day, uh, Arsenal v Rotherham next year, and he, you know, if looks could kill, he was like, get out of my face. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
But yeah, uh, back to the fantasy. I'm amazed at how well I'm doing. I haven't really followed the Premier League in the past few years until like the, this season. So yeah, I think you said Captain uh, Salah. I think Captain Jamie Vardy was the best move I made this year. What you say about Arsenal players, I had Gabriel. I've got Gabriel on him. I think he scored a couple for me. So he, he's not been doing too badly. There you go. Take that. Take those little points where you can get them. Um, yeah, I did. I did notice that you've been doing very well in that, that grapple fancy league. Um, are you in the you in the league, Rich? Do you play any fancy football? I I am. I'm just in the the Barclays one, the generic one. I'm in a like the overall, you know, going against the field. And I'm also a, a, I I subscribe to the Arsenal blog uh, uh, Patreon, so I'm in that league and. As you'd imagine, there's a lot of folks that pick Arsenal players. I treat it like I do fantasy American football, and I I try to be very calculating with it. If there's going to be a player from my yeah, I I I can't do it because I don't want to have my heart in my throat as I'm screaming for the love of God, (laughs) Aubameyang score. Uh, You know, I I did that many many years ago when I first started, but now it's like, hey, if I gotta have Mo Salah, if I gotta have Jamie Vardy, I really should have had Son. I would deeply regret not making Captain Sun because that would have been very tasty for me, especially uh, the last few games. Uh, but yeah, I, I've been sticking a lot with a combination of City midfield, uh, Liverpool up front, and then one of the United divers. I, I usually just, <laughs> you know, every year find the one. If, if they really would allow you for the per- to get points for the person who. Uh, gets the penalty called, I, I would be all over that. Yeah, it's a shame. Perhaps they'll introduce it next year. And Ben, are you off to uh, throw a, a grapple invite over Richard's way for the fantasy? Oh, yeah, we need to get you in. It's very competitive, mate. There's no prize. It, it's just honour at the end of the day. But, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get you signed up, get you in our league. Because uh, it's, uh, so, it's a lot of fun, isn't it? Uh, it's just a race to not be bottom, really, at the moment for me. So, you know, yeah. mid-table is a good finish, I think, at this point for me. Much like Arsenal. Out of it. I mean, Rich, I know you obviously cover a lot of wrestling for the torch, but how much uh, sort of like Brit wrestling, European wrestling do you watch? And sort of when, around what time do you, did you start watching sort of like the British scene? Oh, gosh. I, I think in general, I started, uh, I want to say about five years ago, six years ago. And it was because I was just trying to figure out where all these dudes were coming from that were showing up either in PWG or whatever other indie shows here in the States I was watching. And uh, I had started, as far, especially about that time, five, five years, five and a half years ago, I uh, started going to the WrestleMania weekends here in the States. And with each year, I would go to less of the WWE-related events and more of everything else. And so that also helped with it. And so by the time that that, that, that began, I had already been watching Progress. And then from progress, I jumped into a little bit of ICW. But then because of Alan, I got into WXW big time because I'm sure, as you guys know, once Alan finds out you're interested in something, your DM's blowing up and you're getting all the information (laughs) you could ever need. And it was just like we were talking about cyberpunk. It's just like plugging into the Matrix. And I'm just, oh, oh, I know WXW now. And I just kept going from there. And uh, as a person who, uh, as a, Outside of my wrestling fandom, I grew up in Brooklyn, and I grew up in a Russian-Jewish neighborhood. So Ilya Dragunov was really uh, intriguing to me, especially as Will explained the idea of him being like an immigrant turned good in the German, kind of like Zeitgeist. And 
So seeing him and, and loving what he was doing and then uh, uh, seeing the rise of uh, going from the Dunn brothers to British Strong Style and then having Will Point Me to Fight Club Pro and some of the other uh, groups and then finding Rev Pro once I uh, realized New Japan had a closer relationship with them and kind of became their UK destination. And so that kind of each tendril pulled me closer and closer. And then as I started watching more New Joshi that kind of pulled me in with the women. And so that's really where I started. And then currently what I mainly watch, uh, I, I not that the w- things have started to restart over there. Uh, Rev Pro, I've been watching their shows as they produce them. Uh, NXT UK, I usually watch that in groups. I usually don't watch it weekly. I wait for a couple of episodes. And then if it's a lazy Saturday, especially now with the, the, the lockdown, I can, I can just sit down for like two, three hours, catch up, watch a takeover, easy thing to do. And then uh, anything else as they're coming up and as I feel, you know, I can watch. And then once, uh, you know, obviously the stuff with speaking out and everything came up, it also made for very uh, difficult decisions as far as what I watch now, because so many of the things I really enjoyed to send people when I wanted them to watch Brit rest, I, you know, like David Starr, that was, he was usually the gateway drug in a lot of ways for a lot of the shows, a lot of the matches, uh, the, you know, whether it's the, Star David Star Ilya or oh oh Guns Bobby Guns Ilya match with WXW. If it's the David Star, uh, I think it was the ICW match where he went up against. Uh, now my brain stopped working, gents. So forgive me. Uh, Fergal Devitt's uh, protege. Oh, Devlin and OTT. Yeah, OTT. OTT. Yeah. OTT. I'm sorry. And for those of you who listen to these guys, usually forgive me for my ignorance because sometimes I will mix up some of the promotions because my brain just is wonky that way sometimes. Uh, But yeah, the OTT uh, main events have been something that were, whether it's the production value, the main event atmosphere, you know, I I told Will and Alan, one of my biggest regrets is being jealous that they got to sit in on some of those matches like live as I'm watching the fervor and the energy of this crowd and knowing that they're over there somewhere or Will's just to the right there drinking. And I'm, I'm just here sitting in my room watching it as my wife wonders, why are these drunken people on my screen? <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose, would you say then for sort of like um, US fans, that sort of like Euro trash, as they were called, a uh, tour of PWG, would you say that's really when sort of like American fans really start taking notice of sort of the British scene then? I think so. And I also think there might have been a double like it would have been like a uh, like the two stage rocket situation where the, the, the Euro trash showing up and then also the profligation of all of the European wrestlers into all of the other regional promotions. So not just here in the States, but it, you couldn't sneeze and run into uh, not run into another wrestler. Like if you're watching Japan and you're watching some of the Japanese indies. Hey, you're seeing CCK. If you're going to, uh, you know, uh, looking at some of the uh, more uh, esoteric promotions that are just kind of like running one-offs and such, you know, or or learning about like the Japanese uh, 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 when when folks go on excursion system and you see so many of the Kiwis and stuff that then relocated to the United Kingdom. So it, it all kind of started to flow into each other. And of course, Ring of Honor, and the Bullet Club and uh, New Japan tying those guys into whether or not it was, you know, just for the purpose of marketing, you know, a, a guy like a, a, a you look at what Devitt did and then you compare him 
to that next, not necessarily next, but you know what I mean, as far as that generation of folks that then just started going out, you know, you have a squirrel and people lost their minds over that and kind of wanted to dig back in and say, where did this guy come from? Mm -hmm. And I think that was also very helpful. And, you know, honestly, the final thing I'll say is the fact that we have so many streaming services, like you can get the OTT, like I've had progress probably since they had progress on demand. Mm -hmm. And one of the best things for me was they would give you a couple of months worth of all the other European promotions outside of RevPro that you could watch with that subscription. So it was not like I'm spending 40 bucks, I'm spending seven and I have access to all this stuff and I can learn more just by, you know, having the courage to message someone on Twitter or, you know, look on a site or listen to a podcast and, and kind of increase that knowledge. And I think that went for most fans here in the States. I think that's a worldwide thing as well, isn't it, Benno? I think this, uh, you know, long gone were the tape trading days, having to wait six months for your sort of like ROH tapes or, or whatever you were getting and just anything, you know, you were in buzz from anywhere in the world about a match and you were like, oh, well, I can watch that now. You know what I mean? That's the that's the mm. thing which made the world a lot smaller, didn't it? And saw these scenes from all over the world sort of like really make a, a big splash. Yeah, that's it. And you kind of got like a, like an internet kind of community of wrestling fans all kind of watching the same stuff or like seeing, you know, back in the Brit Res Broom days, getting a, you know, a, a Meltzer, you know, putting his uh, his name behind something big that he saw happen in the UK and everyone can just go out and watch it. Um, you know, unfortunately, like a, a lot of those memories are a bit tarnished with, you know, a lot of the, the name, the big names that maybe drew people in over the years. But I would say, yeah, like that, that, that kind of it's exciting. I think Rich is selling uh, Brit Res on me back again now. Just thinking of that exciting, <laughs> uh, that exciting time of uh, of stuff that was going on. Where yeah, I, like there was a time in my life where I never would have imagined, you know, somebody in America sitting down and watching Brit Res. Like I think the first time I saw like PCW w- was one where you know their, their their stuff would get taped in like Ultra HD and they put DVDs out. And I used to think to myself, I was like, who's watching Brit Res on tape? Uh, who's going like who's buying these dvds who's not going to these live shows um but you know it's got to start somewhere hasn't it and yeah we're obviously traveled far afield because of those shows because of you know the the roh combo shows the pwg tour that you mentioned there and just the the word of mouth and the uh the buzz of uh the brit res i kind of in that period that we're uh, we're probably going to talk about a bit later with the with the documentary review um but yeah they were uh you know some very problematic times because of some of those names what you know uh, they were it, it what probably was the the best boom period this country is probably ever going to see as well and it's no surprise that uh it brought in some americans with it yeah cause it was quite nostalgic um obviously we're going to talk about it later in the show but watching that osprey documentary but i mean before we get there um there's a small matter of uh, Red Pro and the two shows um, that they've had um, in the past month. Um, the first one being the culmination of their first set of tapings, which was Epic Encounters 5. Uh, this was headlined by Ricky Knight Jr. and Will Ospreay for the um, for the Red Pro title. Um, and Ricky Knight, I mean, me and Benno waxed lyrically about this guy for the past few shows. I mean, he's been the main highlight of this of these first set of tapings. And it, it was no different here in this match with Will. A cracker of a match, and for, for me, a real setup for uh, RKJ to be Red Pro's guy going into the new year. Um, I mean, especially with sort of like Zack Sabre Jr. and Osprey appearance has been more sporadic. Um, they really seem to be setting Ricky Knight Jr. up as, a, as their guy here, Benno. 
yeah, he's the big story, isn't he? Coming out of like these these rep pro shows, um, you know, they've been easy enough fun watches. Um, I think you know, there's been a couple of technical issues here and there, and a couple of shows that I've I've loved more than others. But you know, especially now that they're free on on uh, on Twitch, uh, you know, they're an easy two hour watch, aren't they? And there's not. Uh, you know, there's nothing hugely bad on there. There's nothing, you know, completely blow away on these shows, apart from maybe, you know, the Osprey matches here and there. But the one abiding memory I think we've all got of these shows is Ricky Knight Jr. Like, it has been the Ricky Knight Jr. show. It has been basically his push has happened during these shows. He has gone from being somebody at a certain point in a card and coming out of, of these tapings. He's, you know, he's someone who could Rev Pro could, realistically headline with when we come back to, to doing live shows um, and I think this Osprey match was like the, the crowning moment of that this was like his, his coming out party hopefully it's the you know it's the, the match that maybe attracts a, a bit more viewership um, you know the, the Twitch numbers have been okay you know the 300 odd range um, as we talked about with uh, with Ian Hamilton um, you know whether you Maybe maybe a Rev Pro, a company of their size, might look at that as a success, but you know, maybe a little bit disappointing looking at it as a you know, somebody who's invested in the Brit Res scene as a you know, maybe our ceiling uh, right now as far as, you know, a free show that can be put out. But hopefully the the three hundred odd people watching these shows and the the more who are watching it on demand are, are coming out and taking that lesson that yeah, Ricky Knight Jr. Rev Pro have just booked a blinder with him. Um they've given him lots of promo time. They've given him lots of lots of focus, and like I say, the cherry on top is is this Osprey match where he went in there and he didn't look out of place either. You know, I'm not saying it's a five star match. I'd probably give it, you know, a, a four star uh, match. It was a very much a, a big shootout of a match, really, with you know, with RKJ trying to keep up with Osprey and Osprey pretty much being a a heel now. They, they've kind of gone along with. You know the the New Japan story, uh, if maybe a little bit behind uh, New Japan's schedule, that maybe starting these tapings with Osprey teasing being a heel and coming out where I think he's being quite a bit more outright heelish. Um, but I think that kind of worked in the in the favour of this match as well because it gave us kind of one guy to root for. And yeah, I was watching this thing knowing it was very unlikely Ricky Knight Jr. was going to was gonna come out and, and beat Osprey. Um, but in the, the final stages, in, in some of those near falls, genuinely biting on them and, and wanting Ricky Knight Jr. to win. Um, and I think it says everything, you know, that they gave, they had those big moments that it, you know, it was Osprey can be guilty of being maybe a little bit too generous at times in matches, but he, he was plenty generous here. It took a super finisher for him to kill Ricky Knight Jr. And this is the match where you do that. You're trying to get a guy over in loss. And I feel like, yeah, if Epic Encounters has got, you know, any kind of legacy, this should be it. But yeah, even in, even in loss in this probably biggest match of Ricky Knight's, you know, Brit Res indie career for if I go and borrow a phrase, you know, they they got him over, even in loss. And yeah, but it was a hugely memorable match and a, a great moment in his career. Rich, was uh, Ricky Knight Jr. someone who was on your radar before these shows? No, he wasn't. He was a person where, uh, as I'm watching the shows, I kind of got to watch it more and more. And I know we're talking about five, but that also made me very surprised when I watched six and kind of wondered what was going on because in my head once osprey announced they were vacating the Southside championship and having a match down the road where he could reunify him with whomever wins it my hope had been after that especially with the dude getting put out on a stretcher that 
he could either, you know, quit himself well enough to get into the tournament, win it, and kind of get that second bite at the cherry, or or someone else down the road can do it. And maybe Ricky's the guy who can knock that person off. But he he was awesome. I I, I thought that match was good. I also liked the Oku tag match. Uh, and, but but this match was really like like both of you said. Osprey, much like when he was on the crusade a few years ago to get all of the uh, Aussie talent, or, I'm sorry, the Australian talent all open, uh, over, uh, he, he really just made it his mission. And I, I, I thought Ricky acquitted himself well. Uh, now, do you feel like Ricky's, uh, is there a ceiling for him? Where, where do you all see, having seen the scene uh, far more extensively than I have? Do you see him as a, a future top guy within Rev Pro and the greater uh rest scene or do you think he this detail still to be told with him oh well i, I mean before watching these shows i mean i, I thought he'd just be yeah. sort of like a, a mid-card opening guy maybe you know with the flashy stuff with uh, robbie x that he was doing but then since after these shows i mean i think he's more than proved that he can hang there with the big boys uh i think that's what you were alluding to bennett yeah, that's it. I think I, I totally share that sentiment. Like, you know, seeing him in your call back when we could go to live shows, seeing him in there, you know, doing, you know, mid-card Southside title matches, that was kind of his level. And that, that felt right. It felt he was, you know, a, a fresh name on these shows. He was something uh, a little bit different. You could throw him in there with a Robbie X and have for an opener. But I didn't see this at all. I didn't see I, people are probably listening to this who haven't watched these shows thinking there's no way he could be a headline act. And that's the thing. I mean, I will, you know, when I when I'll say Brit Rez is dead and people will come back and go, oh, well, there's this there's this trainee from Sheffield. And sorry, sorry for picking on Sheffield, Martin, <laughs> but yeah, there's this trainee who, who's going to who's, who's doing great things. And Brit Rez isn't dead because we've got all these young, hungry wrestlers. I do often roll my eyes, but there is some truth to the fact that, you know, spots do open up. And RevPro are forced to go with new guys because, you know, what have they really got outside of Osprey? Um, not much uh, as far as, like, the top end of the card goes. So, yeah, they had to go with someone. And Ricky Knight, I think at the right time, he's peaked. He's gotten more comfortable in this, you know, indie setting. He's gotten bigger. He's shown promo ability and poise that I don't think I was aware he had going into this. So, yeah, Rich, I think I'd, for me, I'd, I'd, I would have been a doubter. I wouldn't have believed that, you know, he could potentially be a Rev Pro main eventer. And I'm not saying he's, you know, you could straight away, you know, slot him straight into a Rev Pro York Hall main event if if crowds are able to come in, you know, February and March. But he's not far away from it. And with the right build, yeah, you, you might well have a chance. Yeah, and I think um, that's that's what he's going to need, isn't he? Just a bit more build in front of a, a live crowd rather than just on these tapings, yeah? And I think I think mm. he would be ready. But um, I suppose any other notable moments from these shows, Benno? I mean, Shaw Samuels made his return to the ring on the show. They, we had the final match in the Best of Five series between Kenneth Arthpenny and Brendan White. Anything else that sort of stood out for you before we discussed the Southside tournament? Um, not a huge amount. Uh, you know, Dan Maloney and Shaw Samuels was kind of, you know, a straightforward match. The, the, they are clearly... Dan Maloney's like the other guy they're trying to get behind. I'm still not convinced of him. Um, comes across as a great bloke. You know, he was, you know, very you know vocal in the summer when we were having a lot of issues and continues to have a lot of issues now. And, you know, he was a, he was broad shoulders for a lot of people. And, you know, he, he, I think he got a lot of goodwill because of that. Um, but I still think that maybe you know when people talk about say that osprey match he had last year is like a breakout moment again he's in there with osprey i don't think it was quite the same as this this ricky knight jr match that we've seen tonight but they are trying they are trying to, to trying to get him over and you know having him in there and 
beating a Shaw Samuels who's you know clearly on as a lightly on his way out himself uh you know isn't a, isn't a bad thing to do so yeah I don't think there was any hugely memorable matches so much on this first of the two shows we're going to talk about it was more just more solid booking really you know the, they use my cat very well you know uh, okay you had him beating robbie x by you know quote-unquote submission isn't the uh isn't the best for bad care but <laughs> is the best for robbie x sorry but it's you know it's entertaining they don't use him too much on these shows maybe they're using him a little bit more in the last two but he fills a right nice role on the shows. The Michael Oku and Connor Mills kind of story is, is getting a little bit of steam and I'm enjoying kind of their combo there and, and you know, wondering where we're heading with that. And every show's kind of got a, a solid enough women's match, like the, the tag match that was on the show as well with Jamie Hayter and, uh, and B against uh, Bobby and, uh, and Zoe Lucas. Um, so, yeah, I don't think outside of the main event, there's, a, there's, there's big matches to rave about, but I would just say every match that's on these shows, you know, you might get 10 minutes, but, you know, straightforward stories are told, you know, characters are developed, things are progressed week to week to, you know, you, you get invested in and, and make it worth coming back week to week. And, you know, you can almost forgive the, some of the technical issues and some of the, you know, the, the bad, the bad production that maybe you get on some of these shows uh, for that. Um, so, yeah, I'd say that's probably the, the biggest strength of these shows is just, yeah, how, how easy a watch they are and, you know, how compact and, how well put together yeah yeah rich me and benno have sort of like discussed on shows past um about these epic encounter shows that yeah they, they are decent but um you know the there's a lot of technical issues and, and things like that um what have your sort of like overall thoughts been about these uh epic encounter shows that red pro been putting out i always fall on the technical side a little bit more forgiving especially because uh, here in the States, I've had to deal with that with anything, not yeah. in the United States, and sometimes stuff in the United States. For instance, when I was big into watching Evolve Wrestling, which was another pathway to getting some of the Brit Rest talent in, uh, it was a nightmare because there would just be shows where they just cut out for a half hour, and there's nothing you can do. Or I would be there live, and they're just like, well, feed went out, so we're going to have to stop, guys. And you're just like, uh, what? And so I, I, like I said, I've been, I've been pretty forgiven of it. I, I, I see it as, especially the way they're trying to get it out to the people. You're trying to stay within the protocols in the UK for attendance. You're trying to make sure you make the wrestlers money. The promotion makes money. And as you mentioned uh, with the, the prior conversation, uh, we, uh, Will and I had had with the owner promoter of RevPro, uh, I had a very uh, intimate knowledge then of, okay, this is what they're trying to do. And so, I, I, I've been finding, like you both said, it's an easy watch. Once once the you take the snafus out of the picture, very easy watch. There's n- almost no one that I've been introduced to in these shows where I felt like I didn't have either through commentary or through uh, a, a, a quick glance on Google, a base knowledge of them. Uh, like with Ricky, my big question and concern had been, because I hadn't seen him in too many other things leading to this, uh, with my niece, not nascent, but with my, you know, I, I, don't, I don't dive as deep as y'all do. I, I kind of find the big shows or I find uh, storylines that grab me and then kind of float through them. I wasn't sure if the night name, especially after when Soraya kind of had her issues uh, during the speaking out movement, exploding on people on Facebook, if he was going to kind of get backlash for that. Yeah. But it seems like he came out smelling like a rose. So it, it, for me, from a technical standpoint, nope, easy watch and, some of those guys you mentioned, like Shaw Samuel and uh, uh, 
I, I really enjoyed the uh, that opener with the chokeout because it, it was just clear. You know, everyone just looked at it and it's like, you lucky son of a, like, just, just every, you just felt it. And I like stuff like that because it doesn't all need to be the same. And that's, that's always a hallmark of a good show. I suppose, yeah, there are a lot of positives about these. But um, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Benno, about the viewership. Um, you know, we talked on the last show, you know, these shows started on fire and then had to move over to Twitch, YouTube and the Rev Pro, Facebook and the, the viewing figures don't seem to be the best. And I, so that's the problem, isn't it? It always seems to be a criticism of Red Pro that everything sort of seems chucked together. I mean, um, you know, not utilizing their email list for some of these shows. Uh, wrestlers on the shows weren't really talking about the shows on the social media after the first couple. Uh, Ricky Knight Jr. is having a main event with Osprey, and you'd sort of like think they might reach out to his really famous aunt who's got a big online following to, you know, give a quick mention of the show and just. Little things to create some buzz. I mean, and obviously there's plenty of ill will from fans for using Osprey, you know, with seemingly no punishment, but I feel they could have done more to get these shows out there, Benno. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair criticism. Um, and I think the problem you'll often get with RevPro is they try a lot of new things and they don't always stick to them. You know, see the Patreon, see, you know, other ideas they've had in the past about trying new avenues and Twitch is the the latest in a in a in a bit of a list and you might as well give it a try. Um yeah, it's it's weird because we we probably shouldn't complain about getting these shows for free. You know, it's better than paying nine ninety nine for them. And I think people listening to our reviews will probably notice our tone has changed a little bit because I think yeah maybe your expectation for a nine ninety nine show is not quite the same as a a free show that you can you can watch on twitch um you know but yeah you know from a business point of view you'd think you know at some point they're going to be looking at monetizing these things a a little bit more maybe maybe the the attention that they get on twitch you know as limited as it is and then you know the the on-demand is always on on red pro on demand you know maybe they just see it as a way to keep customers happy people who are subscribing to them and I've kept subscribing to to them through the pandemic. You don't want to lose those people, so we've you've got to think about that as well as uh, attracting potential new customers. But yeah, I think maybe I've, I've mellowed a little bit on the numbers because I think yeah, three hundred is not great. But I wonder, you know, like what what were Rev Pro doing behind the, the the scenes? You know, on on pivot chair, what's what's the Rev Pro number? Maybe maybe three hundred isn't that yeah. bad. Maybe we. Maybe we all kind of think of BritRes still as this thing that where yeah you put a free BritRes show on Twitch and surely thousands of people are going to watch. <laughs> Maybe that's just not true. Um, I'd like to see the comparison with say say Progress went went free on Twitch. Uh, say OTT put a a show on Twitch. I'm sure the numbers would be bigger, but would they be that much bigger? Um, it's hard to say, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that's the idea. Maybe if they, if they if they build this follower on Twitch, start monetizing these streams in in some form, that'd be a clever way to to do things. But I think maybe more than anything, you know, a, a focused approach might be a good idea rather than you know tried all these different things and you know never really it seems <laughs> pro sticking with with one particular direction. Um, but yeah, can't can't blame them for trying. Um, and yet it does. It does tell us a little bit, maybe, what the the ceiling is potentially uh, in interest in Brett or or a Rev Pro right now, and you know, maybe they're happy with that. Yeah, I suppose because they did stick with the uh, you know the three free streaming on the YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch for the Epic Encounters Six show, which uh, dropped mm-hmm. this past weekend, and that was the start of a tournament to crown a new Southside champion. Obviously, Southside had been folded into Rev Pro back in two thousand and nineteen, and. Um, 
wrestlers in the tournament uh, were Ricky Knight Jr., Rob Lias, Screwface, Hammer, Dan Maloney, Chuck Mambo, Charlie Sterling, Joel Redman, and Brendan White. And um, and again, the show was decent. We also saw like the return of Kid Lycos on here, Gideon Gray adding um, a female wrestler, Sky Smithson, to his Legion faction, because obviously Rampage Brown and Great O'Connor aren't going to be around him. Um, I mean, uh, I enjoyed the main event, uh, RKJ and Dan Maloney, but again, just a, a decent show. Um, and obviously, Osprey said he's going to face the winner of the tournament. And um, we had Redman, Sterling, Lias and Maloney go through. Um, and then we'll see the next rounds on the 27th of December. Um, so, Rich, um, how did you find this uh, Southside uh, tournament for this uh, next round of tapings for Red Pro? I liked it. I, I thought there were... Obviously, not every match was. I, I really liked the main event, Maloney and RKJ. I, I thought that was pretty good. Again, my disappointment lied solely with I was hoping for RKJ to kind of have that storyline of building himself yeah. up. I really got enamored with him watching that match and how much Osprey put him over in the post match that I assumed, uh, maybe wrongfully so, that this would be that story of when next you come back, I'll be ready for you. But again, he's young enough where he can take that loss, grow from it. Uh, I, I, I didn't know too much about Screwface Ahmed, and so that was someone I had to kind of look up a little bit. Uh, but the ladies, I, I thought that was interesting because I know in looking at Ref Pro shows, a lot of times the ladies' matches, uh, while they're there, it, it's kind of almost that AEW-esque, is it good or is it? does it need to be there or are you just doing it to say you had a women's match? And I, I thought this one kind of... I fell somewhere in the middle. I don't know where you guys felt about it. No, I think I've, I think that's um, a fair comment, but I have been enjoying them. Um, I think the main criticism of Red Pro has been that, um, you know, they've not done enough to utilize um, some of the female wrestlers. And I think they're kind of trying to make amends for that now, aren't they, Benno? Yeah, I think that's it. I think I, 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 there was that tag a couple of shows ago that was messy, but I kind of, enjoyed it for that reason that's about the most enjoyment i've had out of like some of the some of these matches on these shows but you're right it's an investment in time isn't it like how many times did we complain progress putting women on second or you know nxt uk going back to the well and pushing pushing all the same women as progress or rev pro not being asked except for like maybe one woman and it's because she's office in the company you know at least they're giving it a go and, and i think the quality of the women they've got there is you know barely you know, reasonable standard. We're not having, we haven't had any classic matches on this, on these tapings. And I wouldn't say uh, Giselle and Bobby was anything better than say, a, you know, a, a solid three-star match, but it does take time, doesn't it? To, to build an entire division really from scratch, because, you know, there's a, a couple of, you know, I mean, there's retaining people in this division, but as far as regulars go, they didn't really have any regulars as far as a women's division goes over the last couple of years. You know, there's unfortunately, you know, they tried to, plug Aaliyah James into this. Uh, we tried to make mm-hmm. the save in this match, and she, unfortunately, as as is kind of the story in Britain, has got signed by NXT UK with about, what, 50, less than 50 matches under her belt and about a year in. I don't even, is she, is she 18 yet? Uh, that's how quick they're getting taken um, by the WWE at this point. Um, but, you know, despite that, you've got to build something, haven't you? You, you can't have... 
you can't just do okay now there's the token women's match on your call and everyone goes goes the loop you know when we are back to live shows you've got to put that work in and you've got to build you know feuds and teams like they have here and you know build some interesting dynamics you know between the women and you know Giselle Shaw's been solid as a champion I don't think she's you know a well beater but I think she's she's absolutely fine and Bobby Tyler's good to to have around the division as well so yeah I think with the Red Pro women's division I'd say patience uh, is the biggest thing and yeah I think that's that's one good thing we can use these these uh, these little tape and blocks for is to is to slowly build these things so that when we do come back to live shows and we do come back to to cockpit shows uh, it's not so random um, a women's vision be, match being on the show it is kind of part of the furniture yeah because I think it is obviously going to be a shame when things do open up and um, they'll inevitably lose um, Jamie Hayter as well but I do feel like they've got a um, you know a decent nucleus to build around it's just a shame that um, you know they've been doing some stuff with Aaliyah James and then obviously she's gone off to NXT UK like you mentioned so it is a shame that they're trying things with people but only for them to be snatched away but I suppose that's just the story of Red Pro isn't it you know that's happened a number of times to him but um I mean, just the last thing on Red Pro, Beno. I mean, where where do you think they're going 2021? I mean, is the bloom completely off the rails for them with the ill will from fans following the Osprey stuff? And then obviously a lot of people thinking they were too slow in publishing any form of code of conduct. I mean, just for example, I mean, you know, when we do go back to some kind of normalcy next summer and Red Pro did a big York Hall show with Osprey and Zack Sabre Jr. on top, for example, with some maybe some New Japan guys thrown in there. Do you think it's going to be the hot ticket that it was um, in February? I don't think. I mean, the thing with Rev Pro was it, it was only ever a hot ticket when you know Pac was in town or Osprey was in town or they had that big dream match to to offer. Rev Pro is like a brand that people feel a big connection to. I'm not sure really has ever existed. Um, you do have you know Big York All Show, thousand plus people turn up, so you know they exist. In some form, but I would always say like that hardcores of the you know, the cockpit audience are, are the loyalist Rev Pro fans. They're the people who on you know who aren't really paying attention to the, the you know the Twitter noise about Rev Pro. That Andy Quilden seems to be swerving himself as well, um, and are still you know passionate about the product and are still going to be going to those cockpit shows and are still hoping their their season tickets are, are worth something. Um, I don't know. I think because because of the Osprey thing, because Rev Pro didn't really you know handle things the best way. Um, obviously, there's that interview, you know, Andy did with uh, with Rich that was not particularly well received. I think they got a lot of attention, but you know, I, I do think when people talk about them as the you know the centerpiece of uh, of abuse in Brit or however they've been cast, I mean, yeah, I think there's there's bigger stories. ICW are coming back, Progress are coming back, Fight Club Pro are coming back. Those places were the were the epicenter of abuse in Brit So if they're going to come back and have fans, I don't see why why Rev Pro wouldn't. I would like to see them be a little bit more vocal about you know what they're doing as far as safeguarding fans and and wrestlers and the like um but i i, I don't know I, I don't think they're going to be hugely hugely affected by it if anything the kind of of the indies that the last big one kind of standing you know what is what is progress at this point what is what is ot without ott without devil and star rev pro uh, not particularly in a hugely strong position, but I don't think they're in the the weakest position of all of these companies. And yeah, you know, for, as kind of the last big indie, you know, purely independent left in this country, uh, I do still think people are going to be going to their shows next year. But as we have with Rev Pro, it's going to be all about you know who they feature, 
whether they can get some new Japan wrestlers over as uh, as always pop their houses when they uh, when they get to get the big new Japan guys over. If that can start happening again next year, maybe we'll see your call shows. But I think I've got a feeling they're going to walk before they can run. I think we're going to get cockpit shows with a couple of hundred people, you know, less than a couple of hundred people in for for social distancing. We're going to get your call with maybe you know half capacity and the like, and and then we'll go from there. And yeah, maybe maybe they'll just be happy with that for now. And Rich, any uh, final thoughts on on Red Pro? Yeah, I, I think one of the lessons I learned both from the interview, the backlash, and kind of seeing seeing where things fell is that a lot of times, a lot of the stuff, and I I don't know because I don't want to turn this into a uh, both sidesism thing, but I think in terms of I'm thinking with the pandemic, both in the UK and the United States, I think because there's a vacuum of leadership at the top when it comes to oversight in some things it leaves you in this bad max, like you take care of yourself and you fend for yourself. And their biggest mistake was not being transparent with what they were doing. Yeah. Like you, like you just mentioned, so many other companies are coming back, but they went with, and even Andy mentioned that that was the one thing I gave him credit for in the interview. The one thing I gave him credit for of saying, listen, we're doing this and I'm talking about it. While he didn't talk about it more more transparently, he, he he was at least talking. You know, when you have your WWEs, when you have some of those other promotions that had more issues, and they're just open and shop and completely playing dumb to mm-hmm. what's going on. It it makes for a situation where it's easier to bang on the guy that says they're trying to do things than it is to just look at the folks who are doing business as usual and say, let's not be a scumbag. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Benno. I think that, you mm. know, and, and I also think, yeah, Rich raises a good point there. It's, it's, you know, there's no leader, you know what I mean? Everyone's sort of like got to do this thing on their own and, you know, and it's sort of like hoping and trusting that these, you know, promoters will do something about it. Yeah, that's it. And I, I'm, I'm someone who wants to see action rather than words, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I want to see, uh, you know, I want to, for example, you know, there are, there are a lot of, you know, you look at, you know, people who might get criticized for working these shows, like Adam Maloney, or like, you know, some of the women in the women's division who work this show, you know, at the end of the day, Rev Pro is a place for them to work and a place where they clearly feel safe working. Um, they're, they're, they're one of the first promotions who's been working, you know, behind the scenes with equity. Um, I, I'm working on safeguard and that side of things. Yes, their PR hasn't been good. Um but really, for me, it's going to be it's going to be that it's going to be actions rather than words um, from Rev Pro, and there are going to be people who aren't happy about them using Osprey. Um, I, it's a line in the sand for a lot of people. For me, I'm much more concerned with you know with, with the with the very that the other very 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 serious issues of abuse in Brit Res that I don't think other companies have been accountable about. At least Andy Quilden went on Rich's podcast and was you know, willing to talk and give his side of things. There's a lot of unanswered questions with other promotions that, like Rich said, you know, don't get pushed as much as, as Red Poe did because for that, you know, week or so, they weren't as vocal uh, as Andy Quilden was and maybe him disappearing um, and, and pretty much avoiding uh, any limelight is maybe a, a lesson um, from that little period. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that yeah, I think with Red Pro, it's going to be a matter of yes, you know, we we, we all had criticism of uh, their action or in, in action last year, but you know, at least they were open and honest about why they made the decisions they made, whether we agree or not. Um, and yeah, I think I do think I've got some confidence in them being a promotion who are at least going to, even if they're not saying all the right things, they're going to be doing the right things and 
that's going to be the most important thing to I think to uh, to keep an eye on in this uh, this coming year um, with promotions. Yeah, I think that is the main thing, isn't it? It's it's okay putting all this stuff on your website, but you know the proof is got to be in the pudding, and we're not going to know until sort of like you know six twelve months time, you know whether these things are being put into into place, or they're letting people come back in, or they're letting you know these codes of conduct they put into place slide and things like that. So yeah, I don't think anyone's really going to know until you know we are seeing actions like you just noted there. So uh, yeah, brilliant point there, Benno. But um. So I suppose moving on, and um, the the Will Ospreay documentary dropped on Amazon Prime streaming service this past month. Um, it's got, I mean, it's safe to say it's got a bit of a tumultuous history. Um, you know, it was funded via Kickstarter uh, around three years ago to the tune of fifteen grand, and a lot of complaints from backers saying they didn't get the pledges or even copies of the film, etc., etc. And it. Seemingly, it had been at a couple of festivals based on the poster that you see on Amazon Prime. It's got, um, you know, a few festivals listed on there. But from all intents and purposes, it had gone sort of completely radio silent until it, it dropped this past month. Um, I mean, Benno, Kickstarters and GoFundMe things never seem to go well in pro wrestling. I mean, the Progress doc had a, a ton of issues surrounding it as well, didn't it? Yeah, it just never seems to work, does it? Um, how many of these stories do we get? Um, it's a real... I, I found this whole, like, this idea that, oh, it's speaking out. That's the reason that um, we're giving this to Amazon. And basically everyone can watch it for free and all the money's going to go to charity. And we're going to... And because of that, we're going to edit, you know, the documentary down. And then you watch the documentary in the first five minutes. There's, you know, three different, you know, people with very serious allegations against them in the uh, in the first five minutes of the documentary. But that's the justification that they gave. Um, I would say if I was someone who backed this thing, and yeah, they, and there are some very vocal people who backed this thing, you, you couldn't help but be annoyed, could you, uh, over the years as this thing dragged on? And I think Osprey took a lot of the brunt of that when I don't think, I wouldn't expect he saw a penny of the money that went towards this thing. I think as as uh, all three of our mates uh, Will said, and uh, I think it is torch column about like yeah i think the the money probably went to the, the crew traveling to japan and back uh and, and that's as far as any of that money went so that's probably where the uh the, the hate should have been uh directed but extremely weird because i i don't know about you martin but i completely forgotten about this thing i'd forgotten this was even a thing until it just all of a sudden dropped on amazon uh, i just thought it was yeah it was it was like many other you know kickstarter projects in, in professional wrestling just something that was going to be a uh, lost the time and was never going to see the light of day and i gotta be honest now that i've seen the thing maybe that would have been for the best yeah i, I do agree i'd completely forgotten about it because it was years ago didn't it and obviously you just know a day it does open up with a disclaimer saying uh, the following contents uh, <laughs> contain certain individuals involved in criminal allegations since completion of this film, which some viewers may find upsetting. And I mean, it certainly is, as you know, Mike Skull and Travis Banks featured quite heavily throughout this as talking heads. And um, yeah, just, I just found the thing a bit of a mess, really. I mean, it jumps all over the shop. It's, it's not quite sure where it wants to be, seemingly throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks, uh, Rich. Yeah, it, it was really... And and I had completely forgotten about that uh, GoFundMe aspect of it until you guys reminded me. This documentary, to me watching it, it was a little disjointed. It was a little confusing. But it was my interpretation uh, outside of the speaking out movement and the, the donation part was this was a part of the Osprey response, I'll call it. Because when everything hit the fan with Will, the first thing that also – was a yeah, yeah, and, or yeah, what about, was this documentary? 
and I had completely like like you, I had forgotten completely about it because over the years, so many pro wrestlers do so many documentaries. You know, most notably, I think Coke Cabana with his wrestling road diaries. Mm. Uh, I, I think back to the numerous surgeries Jake the Snake and Scott Hall have had by way of GoFundMe's. And so it was just one of those things in one ear out the other. But when it when when Osprey pretty much had the world say, hey, buddy, what are you doing? That was also one of those things. Like, where did that money go? And I think the nefariousness of it relative to going to the Tokyo Dome, interviewing these people in the places they were, it was bad budgeting and lack of uh, uh, logistical I guess, mastery of your budget more than I think, like you guys said, uh, being, you know, a, a, a bit of a trickster and trying to steal the money and bezel, et cetera. Uh, in terms of the content, yeah, they needed they needed to clean this up a little bit. And it, it was very surprising to me with all of the creative people that are surrounding him and some of the companies he worked in. He couldn't find an editor that could sit down and, and not make this look like a Frankenstein's monster of a documentary. Well, I think that's the thing. I think following on from him being filmed in it, and I don't know this for a fact, just pure speculation, is that, you know, he was filmed in it and that was his, you know, contribution to it. I think they went off and sort of like, and have tried patching this thing together with all this footage they've got and then not done a very good job. I mean, you know, you know, in isolation, the footage of Osprey with his wrestling ring in the backyard as a kid is good stuff. And, you know, his parents and grandparents are good talking heads and, some of the stuff I've been going through matches is nice, but just in isolation. But anyway, it just can't decide what it wants to be, can it? Yeah, there was lots of fun 15-minute documentaries within this. Like, you know, it's like that uh, that one New Japan put up with the Ospreys making the roast dinner for uh, for show and yo. Like, oh, yeah. I love spending time <laughs> at the Ospreys' house, you know? That's a fun little documentary. His mum and dad and his dad and granddad. And they just seem like a, like, you know, a very very working-class kind of honest family who are kind of amused that, the, that their son, you know, is this big name in wrestling and that even that there's even wrestling in japan you know that 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 was like a a funny little note that they didn't even realize those companies existed so you get a, a fun little story like that you get lots of backstage footage of brit red shows and like i say a lot of unfortunately problematic people in that backstage footage but it's fascinating not you know all the same you're getting a bit of a an inside look at you know the biggest boom period, like I said, they on the show. This company, this country is probably ever going to see in 2016 and 2017. I thought that was fascinating, and then you got Osprey going to Japan. And I think that was really interesting, but it was all of these ideas in one hodgepodge of a documentary with just footage in there. Where I'm just like, what has this got to do with Osprey? Like, there's, you know, okay, it's interesting seeing the young bucks do a sit down or Kenny Omega do a sit down or mm-hmm. AJ Styles, but like, but. What's that got to do with Will Ospreay in the documentary that that's the people kickstarted and and paid for? It kind of veers off at certain points to the inner story, kind of about the Brit Res boom, you know, kind of about how you know what culture you know drew so well, and kind of about how you know well, you know our stars are getting signed to 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 the, to the American company. We better watch out. And then also it's about you know Osprey sap backstage, you know, chatting shit with wrestlers and. It just it never is one thing, um, and yeah, I think they had a they really did have a lot of good footage in this thing. Uh, maybe 
I suppose they couldn't cut and run and just be like, you know what, let's bin the Osprey documentary and let's do a Brit Rez is dead, the film, um, or, you know, uh, something, you know, along <laughs> yeah, those gonna lines. You're going to be making that one, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's going to be, yeah, that's it. Yeah, there's money in that. <laughs> but yeah, like there's, that, that's the issue though. I think they, they, they may be halfway through, realised they actually were sitting on all this interesting stuff. And maybe they thought the Osprey stuff wasn't interesting enough and they tried to make it two things and it became neither um and yeah i, I can't say i had a bad time watching it like i say real mixed feelings about some of the people who were who were listed uh, in this thing to to say the least but you know it was a reminder of how big things were at one point in time and quite how different things are going to be uh, you know if, if we do get shows back in uh in 2020 but you know as a film it's a mess you know i, I haven't even you know I haven't gone on and I haven't like uh, given this uh, a star rating on Letterboxd, but if I did, I think I'd give it one star as a film. Uh, as a wrestling fan, interesting as far as the footage goes, but as an actual film, just an absolute mess, really. And yeah, not the not the project that uh, that was worth waiting, you know, the, the four odd years for. I mean, of course, it is it, like you know, there is awful seeing some of these the people in this after the allegations. Uh, I mean, Rich, what, what bits do you think they cut out? I mean, it must have been longer than one hour and 18 minutes. I mean, surely Jimmy Havoc was um, involved in this at some point. I mean, is it the bunch of the shows they were filming, five-star wrestling, et cetera, et cetera? And also, do you think any progress involvement? As You know, there's an establishing shot from the O2 Ritz, which is, um, you know, a venue that progress ran shows at around this time. Do you think um, there was a lot of footage cut out of this thing? Yeah, I think there was a good bit cut out. And like you guys were saying, one of the things that stood out to me was I had written in my notes, this was basically a third Will Ospreay, a third uh, Brit Ress's equivalent of Beyond the Mat, and a third of, oh my God, I can't believe we get to interview these guys. We just interview them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so with this, with the O2, I just thought, honestly, especially with the four-year time difference, a lot of that stuff became under the purview and control of the WWE and they were not having it. I, 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 you know, I'm honestly surprised because of that timeline, they had protections for the stuff Ricochet said. Uh, I'm sure also for some of the folks who are currently in WWE who sat down and did that uh, documentary, they're very glad that it's not getting any notoriety because they would not want their bosses to hear what they're saying as they do their job now in their head. Yeah, it's true, because we have got Rey Mysterio, John Morrison, and Ricochet all, all in here, haven't we, Rich, saying about, talking about WWE in, in not their best light, really? Yeah, I mean, the best one for me was uh, listening to Morrison. As much as I enjoyed Ray talking about the injuries and how when you're injured and they're giving you nothing in creative and they're not paying attention and they're not respecting you as a wrestler, he looks at his wife and he says, why am I doing this? And that's the scariest time in his life because it means it's time to step away. And then you fast forward four years and he's out there having the time of his life with his son. You know, some of those things, sacrifices had to be made. When you look at Morrison, though, Morrison says what every the quiet part out loud. He says, you have to get to a point as a pro wrestler. If you can figure out a way outside of that system, how you can still be a pro wrestler. And so a part of me feels sad that he couldn't do that because looking at him weekly on television, he knew what he was getting back into. 
I mean, it's certainly for me, it was, um, I don't know about you guys, but a big nostalgia trip. I mean, seeing these Brit Rest shows packed out, all the big names, it really takes you back, especially mm-hmm. seeing that uh, Red Pro clip, I think, Benno, of Osprey's return to the UK after he won the best Super Juniors in 2016. Yeah, that's it. And that's, like, I can't, I've forgotten that moment, like that big moment that that, that happened. Um, what a different world, eh? What a, what a... I just found it so surreal watching this thing, watching big moments like that. It just didn't, it just doesn't feel like it's of like this timeline. Um, I was like, I watched that scene. I had like a mix of like nostalgia and like sadness and anger because of some of the people who were in the shots and just, oh my God, you can bet you compare it to now. Like a, how how good did we have it? That like, that, that was such a big deal that, it, you know, that an Osprey had gone, you know, you think of him now as just an established New Japan guy, but it was like, oh, one of our guys has gone to New Japan and he's made it. Like, we almost feel naive looking back at it now because, God, what a different world it is now. God, what a different world it was then. Like, uh, we, you know, an Osprey, you know, coming along and, you know, coming along at the same time as, you know, a lot of the other big talents during that time. You know, we had a we had a crew of, like, like, Unfortunately, it's Marty Scale who says it on the documentary, but we had a crew of 10 to 15 guys who were among the best in the world, so it shouldn't have been a surprise that a, that a New Japan, you know, snaps up an Osprey, that, you know, that WWE come in and, and sign up some of the other guys and that, you know, people get tied up to contracts with, like, even the likes of Ring of Honor and, like I say, spend a lot of time in Japan and it all gets broken up and, you know, we're left with what we're left with now. Um it's unbelievable but that, that that was the case back then. Like, if I've got to be honest, if anybody looks at the, the scene now and thinks we're fine, you know, you've just you've just got to watch the documentary and see just how good we got it, how stacked that top half of most cards was, and that combination of those fifteen to twenty guys was, and then you count on your hand like how many of them we've got left to choose from, and that's why you know a company like a Red Pro has to start pushing a, a Ricky Knight Junior. and why you know we're maybe in the in the situation that we are. Um, but yeah, that, like the, a big moment like that, yeah, they kind of like I don't even think about it now. Like I don't, I'd almost shed that part of my skin. who was so invested in that that Brit Red scene and that and you know those big moments like that it's it's unbelievable to think that it was only three years ago yeah and i also think it's very bittersweet isn't it watching this back because obviously you know you know even on this podcast you know we were celebrating all these people and a lot of you know a lot of them did get uh, brought out in a in speaking out you know and it kind of feels dirty a bit watching back like that and just so much stuff needs sorting out doesn't it behind the scenes um you know in terms of speaking out and it's never going to be like that again uh, for a long long time i mean sure you know you, you, you know i might go to a title show in leeds and there'll be fun shows live but they're oddly the shows that you're going to go back and people around the world are going to be envious of the scene you're not going to have wrestlers packing their bags to move to the uk i think that that time's definitely over isn't it i think benno yeah, that, and that's always been, you know, the thing. I've said it before. You know, Brit Rez's dead was a catchier catchphrase than Brit Rez as a scene. The world uh, was watching uh, is now not as good as it used to be. Um, that, but that's kind of what it is, isn't it? It's not like you say you're going to go to your Indies in Sheffield. I'm going to go to TNT in Liverpool. You know, neither of us are going to be going. Oh, this five star match took place. It's it's not that world anymore. You know, the eyes of the world are going to be on other things than than Brit Rez going forward. But yeah, like you say, that that feeling of watching this and just 
I don't even think it was just the wrestlers that that, that made this period in Brut Res. It was it was the culture of it, wasn't it? It was the mm. it was the traveling fans, you know, the likes of our mate Ben Brit Resway days. He was doing it before the rest of us in, you know, the two thousands, but you know, that culture became you know, bigger, much bigger, uh, you know, in 2016, 2017. And it was the same fans you'd see at all the shows. And it was the fact that we were all traveling because, you know, one, the big name wrestlers, two, the big name imports, but three, it was the atmospheres. It felt like going to the football. Um, that was that was one thing that jumped out at me from the, these shows, the, the, just the rowdy atmosphere that I don't think we're ever going to get back. Never mind. Never mind COVID. Um, it was all of that, really. And it, it, you know, even the after party culture, you know, that's why, you know, like I said earlier, that's why I think I'm quietly confident, you know, a Rev Pro who, as Andy said to, to Rich in his interview, they, they, he, he, they put shows on. They don't do after parties. There's a, there's a distance between wrestler and fan and everyone goes home. But that wasn't what Brit Rez was built on. Maybe that's why Rev Pro were on the outside of, mm. of the boom at times, because what it was built on is what's shown in this documentary. That fan culture meshing with wrestler culture, the after party culture and the the all of us in it together thing that the kind it felt like we were part of like a you know a punk movement in the eighties or like we were all part of like some underground cool thing um, and we were you know wrestlers and fans as one type of type of situation that can't happen next year you know after speaking out after everything we've dealt with this year that will can't come back um, and I think that is kind of lost as as a huge huge element of why. Brit Res is never going to be the same as it was in in the in this documentary, and why, like you said, Martin, it's so 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 bittersweet to watch it now. And Richard, um, sort of as an American, um, do, would you say there's any parallels between sort of like Brit Res going, you know, having its big boom, and then coming down again with the American indie scene? Oh, absolutely, and it's because of the same reason the WWE. You have a multinational billion dollar corporation that as you mentioned you have someone like an Aaliyah james 50 matches in gone you have folks you know hey let's start uh despite what was going to happen with world of sport gone uh you, you look here in the united states uh and i would draw a line between uh the evolves and progress as basically the same thing it went to the same result even though jim smallman at the time was like that's not going to happen to us mm. And and, and you, and you have was, to pay you attention. It was. You'd heard the same things from Evolve when they first started getting into battery WWE. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the same situation because when you look at that's why it's like mirror image of on one side with Evolve, you you have uh, Gabe Sapolsky swearing on Saxon Bibles, this is not going to happen. I would never let this happen. And then he gets the golden parachute to become a producer or whatever he is now in WWE. Same thing happens with Smallman. And so... If you're these other companies, you got to see that the fox is in the hen house, pardon the American colloquialism, and, and you have to just cut bait. And so for me, uh, my question is going to be for Britress, are you going to have those beyond wrestlings, the organizations that build themselves around the fact that we're the tastemasters, we're the people who will show you the people you're going to watch on national television in three years, and we're okay with that. Because they find uh, they found a phenomenal niche for themselves in doing that and building people up. And, you know, folks, I never thought I'd see on national television in many years, like, no offense to my Buffalo boys, but Silver and Reynolds, and they're killing it on AEW. Mm. You look at uh, what's going on with GCW here in the United States and how creative 
some of those forces are. You know, they still have those issues. Like you said, with Britress, it's a movement. Same thing with a lot of the indies here where folks feel tied. But the danger becomes preventing that loyalty, that tie, that push to go away from a corporate structure with your wrestling. You still have wrestlers and you still have carny stuff and you still have people who are not going to have the best interest of everyone in that rooms uh, with you. And, and, and I think until you get some sort of oversight in both countries, it's going to be a situation where you have to accept they're going to have some bad actors. You just have to eliminate them and shun them and remove them from the scene. There cannot be a way forward for someone who is a sex pest or predator. There can't be a way forward for someone who is putting their trainees in danger. There should be a way forward for someone who made a misstep. Let's say they, they had a drug issue. You know, so wrestling's littered with people like that. But when you look and you see so many people have these common denominators of abuse and, and power dynamics and all that sort of stuff, until we all collectively say no, because it's just like any other genre of entertainment, sport, or anything we consume, our dollar is going to go further than our words. Yeah, I think that was a, a brilliant point. And I think that's the thing, Benno, isn't it? It's trying to create that buzz around something, but making sure there is that distance rather than it being sort of like, like you said about the after-show parties and the, and the drinking culture and things like that. Yeah, it just needs, Britos just needs to grow up in 2021. That, that's what we need. We need professionally run training schools where Travis Banks and Millie McKenzie can't happen. We need wrestling shows where, you know, there, there isn't that that match table culture that, you know, was fostered so much out of Fight Club Pro and, uh, and Progress. Like, that. Those are, the, those are the things we need to eliminate next year. The question is, you eliminate those things, is the scene as hot as it is? Like, uh, you know, we, also, you eliminate the fact that a lot of people's trust was broken. You know, there's going to be a lot of people who just plain won't come back to shows next year. Um, I think, yeah, that they're... One, Britress is going to have to grow up next year, but it's also going to have to face the consequences of growing up. Um, and I think we are going to have a much lesser scene. We're going to have smaller promotions running in there. It's going to be like going back to the 2000s, aren't we? We're going to, like you said, we're going to have our small local promotions that we're all fond of that we'll, you know, we'll get the bus to or we'll get the train to, but we won't necessarily, you know, travel city to city to. Um, and then maybe, you know, as time goes on, if things you know as rich said we probably do need you know a big oversight committee or you know somebody in charge but we're probably not going to get that overnight so it's probably gonna have to police itself and it's probably just gonna have to be rebuilt and i think trust is gonna have to be rebuilt with fans um and i think that that goes for both speaking out and for you know safety around covid you are seeing a lot of promotions who are maybe running uh you know pushing a little bit too soon and, and did in the last couple of months to to run shows uh all of those things are gonna have to come together and yeah i think next year's gonna have to be the year that yeah brit res grows up and, and with growing up comes consequences uh and i think yeah we're not gonna have the you know an explosive year in 2021 but you know let's let's hope for the sake of the likes of you and me, Martin, who are doing a Brit Rush show every month that, you know, we, we do have something of a scene at least that, you know, that can that can be there to, to maybe set the stage for the next generation of, 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 uh, of Brit Rush wrestlers. And maybe, you know, in a few years we can have a a, a big scene again. Um, but again, I don't think it's going to be anything like that documentary was. I think the, the next boom is going to be very different to the, the one that we just had. Uh, and yeah, I think it's going to take a lot of patience and a lot of trust and... Let's see if uh, the people in Britres have got that in 2021. 
Well, uh, Rich fetched WWE up um, a minute ago, and obviously it's onto our brand now because uh, NXT UK and last time, Benno, I mean, we were raving about the uh, Ilya and Walter match from NXT UK and not much else. And uh, mm-hmm. this past month, we've seen A Kid win the Heritage Cup tournament, beating Trent Seven. Uh, Rampage Brown made his in ring debut, Aaliyah James appearing that we just mentioned then, and then this. Uh, continuation of this uh, Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster Eddie Dennis feud. Um, not really much to shout about again, but I must say I, I did enjoy the uh, the A-Kid Trent Seven match. I thought A-Kid had a, a good showing in the Heritage Cup tournament, and I, I did enjoy the match overall. But, um, I mean, Rich, you said that it's a nice, easy watch for you on a Saturday, but what what is your take just on NXT UK as a whole? I, I think, I, I for me, especially now that it's restarted, the thing I've my take on it is I want to know what it's going to be. Like I, I said earlier, I, I I would hope for the sake of UK fans like yourself, uh, they provide a little bit more. You know, when they first opened it up and they were sending folks like Chris Hero and sending wrestler American wrestlers or non non UK wrestlers there in the spirit of maybe we don't have anything for them, but they have a respect for the art over there and we can add them to the storylines and it wouldn't be seen as a, a step down, not too dissimilar from when uh, Balor went to NXT, NXT uh, USA from uh, SmackDown or Raw rather. Mm-hmm. I, I think those things make sense because you're giving someone a value add, you're putting them in a position where they're going to flourish and the fans aren't going to feel like they're getting chopped livers, so to speak uh, in terms of the quality of wrestler right now. I really like what Eddie Dennis is doing. I, I think he's a guy I, I, I like a little bit more in the role he's in than as an out-and-out wrestler. And, I, and I, I'm sure you guys may disagree with me on that because you've seen him as a wrestler far more. But a lot of the stuff I saw Eddie do as a wrestler, especially towards the end uh, of, say, his, his progress days, uh, I, I was always more enamored with the stuff before the bell rang than after. And, and uh, Rampage Brown has always been – he was one of the first folks – uh, I mentioned this to Will when I started uh, collaborating with him on the torch. He was the first person when I watched Progress that, uh, for me, my BAME sensor went off because a lot of folks at the time in the message board, I was, I was like, no, what are you talking about? He's, he's a white guy. I was like, I, mm, nah, mm-mm, <laughs> no. I, he's like, listen, as, as living 30 some odd years as a black guy, I could, I could tell the black guys that, that dude, Rampage Brown, like this guy, like dude, and, and and it was really cool to me to see. Uh, he was kind of the introduction for me, uh, outside of obviously someone like a more uh, a Norman Smiley or something like that. But in the modern sense, in Brit rest, like the indie sense, seeing him as an established power guy, watching him, it was really cool to me because Bad News Brown was one of my favorite wrestlers. He was a guy who actually got me into judo when I got to college and and competing in tournaments because. It stuck with me how awesome it was. This guy just jumped into something in his 20s and was good enough to win a bronze medal at the Olympics. And so uh, seeing him, seeing Coffee, uh, I I have loved Mandrews. Uh, I felt really bad. I met him a couple of years ago at a show. And it was at the height of when British wrong style was starting to get brought over constantly and they were going to do that Worlds Collide tournament, the one they didn't televise. It was like basically during uh, access for the WWE. Mm-hmm. And all these fans, I was talking to them, and all these fans are lining up for, you know, Trent Seven, or they're going to Pete Dunn, and they're taking pictures. And 
I'm like, this guy makes his own theme song and he's really good. He's been good everywhere. He's like, it's okay. I'm like the, I'm like the neighbor in every sitcom that everyone's like, eh, it's just, it's just Mark. He's fine. And <laughs> I, I, I just felt so bad because I, I, I cannot understate how much I enjoy watching that man wrestle. And so him and Flash Morgan Webster uh, and, and Flash is another one. His look post quarantine has been stark to me. I have I was so used. Uh, I think his look, and then prior to him becoming uh, uh, outed as a uh, a uh, 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 quite the horrible person, uh, when you looked at gentleman Jack Gallagher, their looks changing were probably the two most stark Brit rest guys over the last few years. And I, I, I venture to guess or venture to uh, welcome your you guys' opinions, maybe not necessarily as much of Gallagher, but on uh, Flash's uh, changeup. Oh, yeah. I mean, we mentioned it on a few shows ago. I mean, uh, yeah, Grizzly Adams, I think, uh, is what I called him, uh, Benno. But, yeah, I mean, this is certainly exactly why we have uh, people like you on here, on here Rich, um, you know, different opinions to, the, you know, me and Benno. But certainly I can agree, um, Eddie Dennis outside the ring was certainly a lot more enjoyable for me. I don't know about you, Benno. Um, yeah, I mean, Flash Morgan Webster looks homeless to me, so I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah Eddie Dennis is... He's a good talker. I don't like. I don't like him doing the WWE speak. Um, I don't like him the caden the WWE speak kind of cadence they have him doing on these shows. Um, but I, it's not a bad idea of something to do with him. Um, I think the the thing about it is that like you know, unfortunately, someone you know who's been who's had a fair amount of injuries in the past. So you know we've had a you know he's had a, a fair amount of time uh, out of the ring, and you know not not a bad way to to utilize him. I think the the story loses me, but I think this is where maybe we're a little bit different than maybe you know somebody coming at this from the outside because it's like you know I'm watching these shows and the commentary is like oh you know Eddie Eddie Dennis and Mark Andrews have been friends for for 15 years and I, can you believe they've done this to their friendship and i'm kind of watching it going oh, hang on the, uh, we pretty much saw this in progress what two three mm-hmm. years ago uh, we've kind of we've seen this story uh we already knew they weren't friends already it's all a bit it's all a bit weird really so they lose me a little bit there but yeah you know eddie dennis is a, is a bit of a highlight of these shows i would echo you know your praise martin for for a kid and trend seven you know i'm not going to go as far as i did with walter and Ilya, but really enjoyable match uh, you know i'm someone who uh, outright detest uh round style james he tried to educate me and uh and turn me around a couple of times on this show but you know i'm i'm, I'm a stickler it's just not for me i'm, I'm never going to change round very style outdated isn't it it just needs to stay dead and you they didn't do a very good job to be honest of explaining the rules i think for for, for their rounds matches in this heritage cup tournament and but at the same time, you know, while it lost me, uh, in part, I thought the wrestlers did a good job with it. They did a good job of, you know, using the last seconds in a round for like a, a cover or a tap out or a near fall to, to build, you know, anticipation for the next round. So if you're going to do it, I suppose that's the way that you do it. Um, and, you know, a kid, someone who is relatively very flesh as far as like the WB system goes. Trent Seven, somebody who's he's been around for, for you know since the start of this thing, and you know the, there is kind of that question of you know do you put over the the get the 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 established star to, to get your tournament over, or do you put it over someone new? And I was glad to see that you know they 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 put over someone new, and you know Aked, someone who we grumbled about getting signed to WWE Martin, and we didn't want to see it happen this early in his career, but 
you know, at least they're doing something with him. Um, at least, you know, considering there isn't really too much exciting going on in NXT UK outside of whatever Walter's doing on a given week, they're giving A-Kid something. Um, and they can go back to that. They can go back to A-Kid and Walter, and that could be, you know, a, a really interesting match down the line. Um, so at least maybe we've got that so forward to as well. But, yeah, I think, it, to be honest, if they followed that great Walter Ilya match with this, I think you might have a bit of momentum. The problem is it's the guff in the middle. Um, and, the you know, Ashton Smith being rolled out there for no good reason or Jeannie wrestling Isla Dawn again for some reason and cutting the same promo she's been cutting for six years uh, with no progression. Um, that That's the stuff that loses me. But there are individual matches like this one that do, you know, that do stand out uh, and do, you know, make it worth the, uh, the investment at times, even if, yeah, it can be quite hard going with, uh, with all the other stuff we moan about every week, Martin. I am uh, blown away that people thought Trent's, uh, sorry, uh, Rampage Brown was white, though. Uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> that's the big takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, sort of like sticking with, sticking with sort of Trent Seven, because um, he was giving an update on Tyler Bate, who had obviously disappeared since uh, around June time. And in an interview with the, the Go Home Show podcast, said they'd spoken to Tyler and met up with him, and that no matter who you are in... 2020, it's taken a big toll on everyone, and that Bate has had to do some soul search and had to look at how he spent his money and how he lives his life, and to remind you know us that um, he won the UK Championship at the age of 19. That's not a normal life for everybody. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing most of that. You can check out the full interview on the Go Home Show podcast. Um, and I was all ready to ask everyone's opinions on when Tyler Bate might come back and stuff like that. And as of recording the show, NXT UK has happened since we've been recording. And it seems mm. Tyler Bate's come mm. back and uh, faced A-Kid on this. So, um, I mean, you think he's, um, you know, found his soul again, Rich? Or do you think it's uh, contractual obligations here? I, I think it's more column B than column A. And I don't think that's any uh, disrespect to, to, to Tyler and what he's been doing, I think. At the end of the day, WWE is a business, and if this was Pete Dunne and he needed to find himself, they probably would have been a little bit more lenient. I think with Tyler, there was a little bit of a get-back-to-work-ish situation, in my opinion, about this. And I feel like going with a kid is a good situation because you know you're going to get a great match out of the two of them. It's just going to be a matter of what is going to be it. Is it going to be used as a way to get a kid further up the card and let uh, not too dissimilar, honestly, from when Daniel Bryan was trying to find himself and determining how much he wanted to be on TV, how much he wanted to risk his child, you know, using him as the stepping stone for other people while also giving them minimal time to kind of do that. They may try to do the same thing here with Trent. I'm sorry, Tyler. Yeah, interesting that um, obviously I was going to get into uh, Trent's comments about him, but um, that's all been sort of blown out of the water by now by the fact that he's, he's actually come back. So he literally had disappeared for for the majority of the year, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. And he's the he's the, the warning story, isn't he? Like, uh, you know, like I said, we were, we were all like, eh, a bit early for a kid. Tyler Bate went into the WWE system really young. Got over huge in that WWE UK tournament. We were all talking about Tyler Bates. I don't think he was ever in their plans to win that thing, but it became like the the feel-good story for him to win that thing. He became one of the three main NXT UK wrestlers with, with Trent and, and Pete and, you know, became a, a big name and then kind of flamed out and didn't really... It was kind of weird, wasn't it? Because we were like, why why don't we see any Tyler Bates singles matches? We'd all go on cage match and be looking at it going, he's had like two singles matches in a year or something when things are active. And it was all all very, very strange. I suppose Trent's comments maybe shed some light on what's happened. But 
I don't know, is this the Tyler Bate we want to see? We, we, I know the pandemic has, has thrown things for a loop, but if Tyler Bate was was on the Indies last year or was getting, you know, Japan tours or was doing, you know, interesting things outside of the WWE system, I, I think I'd much rather see that um, than I'm having another crack for uh, NXT UK. I, I just think there's a real ceiling on Tyler Bate in WWE. He's someone who's a, he's a real prodigy. He's someone who could be, could be, one of the best wrestlers in the world. We we all would have said that a couple of years ago, and it almost feels silly coming out of my mouth at this point because he has just been spinning his wheels and does seem to be one of those people while he stood, you know, head and shoulders above the NXT UK roster with with Pete and and Trent, while Pete's gone off to America and is doing big things, and you know, Trent's Trent, Tyler's just kind of been left behind um i just think it's really sad to be honest for somebody as talented as he is that yeah uh, this is the the career path that he's uh, he's gone with and this is what we're seeing rather than the much more exciting things we we might have been able to be say we were seeing uh, a young tyler bait in his early 20s yeah i think yeah i completely agree with that and i think um you know we joke on here about the nxt you guys not making the big wwe money but i suppose it's probably a decent whack for a 19 year old and then all the adulation from the fans and stuff and then you know, so that does all probably go to your head, doesn't it? But, um, yeah, and also, I don't know, is this, uh, I don't know if this is a fair comment, Benno, but, you know, he's had all the big main events, he's had the belt and stuff, and it's like, you know, is he going to be off to NXT proper next? Um, I mean, it might as well. <laughs> Fleeing rats, isn't it? Like, I suppose if uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that it'd be better for him. Um, there does seem to be a bit of a pattern of that right now, doesn't there, with, uh, with Brits disappearing to America? Um, you know, all power to him if that can happen because there is there's a real real ceiling in NXT UK what else can you really do it's not like the the building much of a brand right now or you know able to do live shows and build an audience uh he's a talented guy a charismatic guy uh I feel like yeah there are much better uses you can get from him rather than being a gatekeeper on on this pretty dead brand yeah, because, I mean, um, you know, we have seen quite a lot of British representation this past month on uh, NXT proper. I mean, the Grizzled Young Vets have made a number of appearances. Danny Birch, um, he's been knocking around for a while, and it seems to be a permanent home now of Pete Dunne, who's looking very lean and uh, been hitting the tanning beds hard, that's for sure. But um, I suppose that the biggest talking point was the recent takeover and the War Games match where uh, Birch and Dunne teamed with Oni Lorcan and Pat McAfee to face off against Undisputed Era. A long war games match, I feel, Rich, but I enjoyed it, and I thought I thought Dunn had a pretty good showing in it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Dunn, in the two appearances he's made, if memory serves, he was in the other one against Undisputed Era, or uh, was a member. I, I can't remember the storyline that got him involved, but he's always been a solid wrestler, and I think he, him in this uh, role as the quiet guy, I, I don't know if it serves him as well. It gives him it doesn't give the vibe of what I remember when he can talk. And now I know here in the United States, we Americans are not the best when it comes to accents, but I think his accent is one that is intimidating and not, you know, more lending itself to comedy. And so when you give him Pat McAfee as the mouthpiece, he kind of sucks the oxygen out of the room and you forget that he has a personality. All right, yeah. Well, that's uh, certainly interesting. So I'd never sort of like um, put Dunn down as someone maybe who might need a mouthpiece. I suppose that's what Trent provided for both Tyler and uh, Pete, wasn't it, Benno? Yeah, that's it. Like, I think Pete's, Pete's someone who... That's always been the thing going against them, hasn't it? That, like, we we always said he was the, he was the worker of the three. And he kind of... It was weird because he had... 
he's got charisma. He's got character. He's got presence. He's got small star quality, maybe than the other two. But it did feel, didn't it? Like they always leaned on Trent to, like you say, do that talking for him because they didn't really touch trust Pete. Um, so I don't, I don't really hate that pair. I, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Pat McAfee fan. I'm not a, I'm not a big <laughs> NXT fan by any means right now. Uh, I find it a struggle to watch, to be honest, these days, especially when there's a uh, more exciting things happening on the, uh, on the other channel. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if Pete's is a strong enough talker to carry it on his own. Maybe I, I get the point because it does kind of just make him another guy rather than, you know, a potential top guy um, that he could be. But I don't know. I get the temptation to pair with somebody like that, to be honest, because I do think that's, that's always been the weakness in his game. And I, I don't think he's particularly improved either. Well, um, Richie's obviously getting thrown into the title picture with uh, Finn Balor and, and a few others. I mean, uh, seems to be a bit a bit of a cold time for NXT as a brand. I mean, do you think uh, Dunn would make a good champion on the show? Absolutely, especially if given you know uh, points taken. That if if you're going to have McAfee as the heater behind him talking and kind of talking him up, I I think the one of the things I always enjoyed about Pete whenever I saw a, a decent promo from him was it was backstage. It was him playing off of most likely Trent. Or if it was just him talking, it was him saying, I want to get to the fighting and just ending it there. I think for him, if he's in McAfee's punter faction or whatever he's got going for their name, whatever, the brand, uh, I I think he needs to have an opportunity to uh, just wrestle. And like you guys said, let McAfee talk crap. They get into the matches. Pete brings an A game, and then someone eventually stands up and knocks him down. And I don't know if it's a, a you know a, a punishment Martinez or you know because I think the one thing I'm seeing in NXT USA that has become a little bothersome to me is they try to entertain you with these wrestlers, but they won't let them wrestle. And the two cases are Pete uh, with McAfee, and the biggest one for me now is Cameron Grimes who in the United States had that workman, like one of the best technical wrestlers who could wrestle any style. And they're turning him into a caricature of a Scooby-Doo character where the biggest thing shows up and he gets boo and he just runs off into the night. And I, I think with Pete, I don't want that for him. So if McAfee's the thing that keeps him sort of serious, great. But if they did separate him and they wanted him to be world champion and they start glamming him up, I just feel like, and, and I welcome you guys to kind of, see if you know shoot a hole in if i'm wrong i feel like nxt when they're developing these guys or quote unquote developing these independent guys you're putting them in a position where uh you're claiming you're teaching them to look at the hard camera and all this stuff but a guy like pete needs what they did with fcw and early nxt stick them in a room stick them with a camera do promos until your voice is hoarse mm. and figure out what you need to say and what your mission statement is and have folks who spent their career getting over on television give you ways to do that instead of just kind of playing to compete with the other channel and just halfway doing it. No, yeah, I can't I can't argue with that. Yeah, that's certainly, uh, I mean, just talked about it a minute ago. That's certainly sort of like something they definitely needs to work on. But um, someone who doesn't need to work on the talking is uh, Zach Gibson. And obviously he's over <laughs> there with uh, James Drake, uh, part of the Grizzled Young Vets. Um, I mean, 
Ben is, I mean, obviously, him and Drake have been teaming for a while, and there have been sort of like flashes of Zach Gibson as a solo star, but it's never quite sort of like really taken off for him as a, a solo wrestler. Do you think there's a ceiling for him in the US, or do you think he can, you know, really shine in, in NXT in, in the US? I don't want to doubt him because he's very talented, isn't he? He's very good in ring as well as a, a very good promo. And the odd time he's been in America, he's still gotten heat. You know, he's still he's still got hit. The thing is, I mean, the gimmick is just so, so regional. It's so, so, mm-hmm. you know, built in. Yeah. He's the, he's the, he, he's the, he's the heel from, from Liverpool. And he's, he's gone to Manchester and he gets booed. He goes to London. He gets booed. He comes to Liverpool. He gets cheered. Like that's kind of like, that's the act, isn't it? So you've really got to tweak it for American audiences. I think it works as a one-off still um, when he's up there with Drake and, you know, he is a good enough talker that he can probably make it work, but it does surprise me a little bit that he's been been, been taken over there. Um, obviously, the two of them having their their training school uh, in my backyard, uh, fighting fight spirit. It surprises me that you know they seem to be uh, moving to the U- US full time. But I suppose the world did change a lot this year, um, and you know I, I think uh, they're not a bad little tag team for for an XT to have. Can't see them being the top guys there, but maybe we see them as you know a team that you can have in in the middle of the park. Um, but yeah, he's someone who I'll be honest. At the start, when they got him in after you know his cup of coffee with ITV World of Sport, I really thought that he was going to be a top guy in NXT UK. I really thought they'd lean into that and do something different, and you know do something different than say you know the Bookers did in Progress, where he was never a top guy. He could have really, really made NXT UK stand out as like a, a big regional heel that we can all uh, get behind, uh, hating and booing. Um, so yeah, odd one that it, that it's kind of. They've been taken to America, but, you know, good for them. And good for James Drake as well. You know, James Drake, someone who, first couple of times he was in progress, we were all kind of like, why is this guy in progress? He's, <laughs> he's not to the standard. And for the first couple of years of their tag team, and maybe even now to an extent, he, you know, he's the other guy, isn't he? And he, he kind of got derided as just, you know, not really good enough. And, you know, Zach Gibson is carrying him. But I, I, I think he's a really serviceable worker and i think he, he works well you know as okay not but you've got to have an a and a b i think um similar to what we said there about pete Dunne and, and pat mcafee um it just depends who's the a and who's the b in that situation but here obviously that gibson's the a somebody needs to be the b and i think they, they've become a really well-oiled uh tag team so good on him really for for proving some of the uh the tractors wrong and you know making it as far as this because i certainly would have, wouldn't have called it when he uh when he signed with nxt uk in 2017 yeah, so yeah, I agree. There, it did seem like when he was over in the UK, it seemed very regional, um, sort of like his heel gimmick. But I suppose you know he can change it up and make it more sort of like US based and, and things like that. I mean, as far as you go, where uh, Rich, with some of the references that Gibson used to make on like UK shows and maybe some of the s- stuff he does, like w- were they going over your head or did you completely were you on board with it? I, I am gonna apologize in advance because I think. Outside of my love of Arsenal Football Club, <laughs> Zach Gibson, like if if I if I woke up and I was an amnesiac, I would be absolutely in love with Liverpool just because of him. And I thought, for me as an American, I love soccer. I, I you know I follow EPL, and you know I got the you know I I'm used to accents. I you know I I, I have friends you know across the across the world, and so it wasn't something that ever turns me off with a wrestler. But his scouts swoon that every time he says it, I just break down. Like, I lose <laughs> it. And, and so he is a guy 
that I love. His wrestling style, um, you know, I he reminds me of a Scouse Lance Storm in terms of he, I never have to worry about him having a bad match because he's going to be in the right spot. He's going to do the right things to make the other person look like a million bucks. And he's going to put he's you never see him putting the boo-boo face on if they're going to lose going into a match. He is a professional through and through. And so his promos, the thing that impressed me the most with him was seeing him in progress in the rest of the UK. He could say every four-letter word in the book to get the crowd fired up, ECW style, where there was no filter. He could just, you know, get under their skin, transition over to the United States where, you know, we had to play TVPG. He still gets people to boo him. And so I think that's great. I think uh, while he might not be a top guy here for NXT, I really think, especially when I've seen it work in the UK, him and Drake can do the, the grizzled young vets. And then if he does need to get a singles push, Drake does a great, I, I know you said B, A to the B, but he does a great supporting role. So if he's going to challenge for a singles title, Drake's going to be behind him doing the head shake and the yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it, it carries over well here. And I think uh, going into the, say, Raw or SmackDown, he would get the Sheamus or Drew McIntyre treatment because Vince McMahon has no understanding of European culture. <laughs> and, and that becomes quite clear. It's like when in doubt, find the most blatantly X thing about that person and let's put it out there. And so I think with him, he might turn him into a full on soccer hooligan and like basically the goon or something like that. And that's not, that's not, that's not him at all. And so I think him and NXT triple H and his staff keep him there I would love a Gibson after you had a couple of guys called up. And obviously I would say Devitt would have to move on either to another uh, brand or another promotion entirely. Uh, but he could be a heel champion that people on NXT would accept and treat with the respect he deserves. I would never, and I, I feel bad saying this, given all my love I've just extolled for him. I would never see Vince McMahon doing that on the other two shows. He would make him like uh, Scouse R Truth, and that's not cool. No, yeah, I think it's, it is certainly going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, how well Gibson and Drake get on um, over there in the US. So uh, certainly interesting to see what happens with them. But um, just a couple of final notes before we add, add out of here. Uh, final WWE note for sure, because obviously uh, ICW premiered the latest version of their TV show Fight Club on the network, and uh, we're also seeing tons of progress footage on the network with the best of any Dennis and the likes and other such compilations all over the network. Now, um, Progress and ICW have still got their on-demand services, but um, Benno, can you see whatever new Progress shows we get next year? Can you see those uh, premiering on the network, similar to ICW? Is that the way it's going to be now, do you think? I think it's going to be difficult, really, because the the thing is, on the one hand, while their primary owner also works for NXT UK, Progress are, are, are making a big song and dance about being you know, a safe place going forward, and NXT UK are booking a lot of problematic people and the thing that they'd have in common is both being on WWE Network at that point I'd find that quite jarring really um, for them to, to to say one thing and do the other um, and be on the network uh, I think the the way they've presented themselves over these this last couple of months and the way they've presented all of their safeguard measures doesn't really tie with being an entity on the WWE Network but it Business-wise, I think that might end up winning out. That might just make sense. Um, like I say, you know, even if we get shows next year, it's going to be reduced capacity. 
you're not going to make as much money from live shows. You're probably not going to have the merch etiquette you've had before, so you're not going to sell as much of that stuff either. As network content, if they're getting paid for it, yeah, I wonder if that that business opportunity is probably going to be too much to to ignore. And yeah, like you said, it's happened with ICW. I've heard from you know a couple of our friends up north that the quality of that ICW show isn't exactly up to scratch. There's a lot of wrestlers on those shows that you wouldn't expect to be seeing on uh, on WWE Network. I've got faith if Progress did such a show, it would you know be of a higher quality. Um, but yeah, if ICW were doing it, like it seems, doesn't it? The most obvious next step that maybe Progress and Obviously, WXW that there's been movement with as well. Maybe go that direction as well in uh, in 2020. I think the, the rumors of the uh, of all these network tiers, I think, are, are finally gone. So I think they're just lobbing whatever content they've got uh, on the network. So yeah, as much as it maybe jars with the with their position um, with speaking out and some of the, the the work that they're doing, I think it's probably likely in 2021. Yeah, I think it does. I think you raise a good point there because you know. You can't be all like, oh, well, we're going to do all these things and stuff, but still be under the same umbrella as sort of like NXT UK and things. And it also begs the question, you know, Benno, do you think we are going to see certain problematic NXT UK wrestlers maybe appearing on progress and former, you know, tag team champions and things like that? They've been very quiet, haven't they? Scotty Davis and Jordan Devlin's suspension has gone on for a very long time. Um, and that is going to be the question. And that, you know, this isn't me kicking progress once again for sell out to big WWE and not being independent anymore. Fact of, is, the fact of the matter is, they're not independent anymore. And can John Briley stand up and go, yeah, I'm using Jordan Devlin on NXT UK, but I refuse on moral grounds to use him on my progress shows? That is a conversation I'd love to, to sit in on because I don't see that happening. They're going to be in a real, real difficult position when it comes to some of those names. Yeah, I think I, I certainly think they are, and it will be interesting where they go in 2021. But, um, I mean, just another couple of small items before we go. I mean, we talked a few shows about Killer Kelly leaving NXT UK, and she's turned up on Impact as part of the women's tag tourney team with Renee Michelle. And uh, Killer Kelly, someone uh, seen a lot of uh, WXW, used to shine on those shows, I thought. Uh, Rich, is uh, Killer Kelly someone who, who you've seen much of? Yeah, I saw her a little bit in WXW. I most recently saw her during the uh, one-night women's tournament they had for uh, Bloodsport. That was Josh Barnett's uh, one-night-only show that they did that weekend in Indiana, which actually, uh, as an aside, that was also a weekend that beggars the question of how the UK is going to handle COVID, just COVID, not even even speaking out, because you had a, a show that was a part of five or six shows and several wrestlers showing up positive for COVID and then declaring afterwards, whoops, I have COVID and I took all these pictures and wrestled all these matches Mm. and ruined everyone else's bookings while we were set up in a state that was one of the highest hotbeds of COVID positivity in the United States. So that, that was a mess, but killer Kelly herself, I think she's awesome. I'm glad Absolutely glad she's in Impact and not WWE because I think the time they did spend with her, they didn't appreciate her. It was really just bringing her in for the UK tournament, did the May Young Classic, and then uh, what was it? It was one match maybe with Dakota, and then after that they released her. They clearly didn't understand what they had on their hands, and it was a part of that mass signing and then hold strategy they always seem to employ so i think she's going to be able to make a name for herself worst case scenario if she can come combine the work she's doing for impact with stuff abroad once the borders open up hopefully 
I think she could make a solid career for herself, whereby if she does eventually decide to return, it's on her terms and not them giving one of those thanks for playing contracts they typically throw at some of the rest wrestlers when they're just trying to hold them in place when they need bills paid. Yeah, because she certainly seemed to just be enhancement talent on NXT UK, didn't she, Benno? And she certainly seemed to be spinning the wheels in, in matches that she was having on that. Yeah, that's her. And, you know, good honor for recognizing that and stepping outside of the system. Because if you've ever been to a WXW show or watched any WXW, you can see the star quality that she's got and that she's clearly got something that a lot of the women that they push hard in NXT UK don't have. And I think a lot of that is born of the fact that she's, you know, confident in herself as around, you know, she was trained around, you know, the ring camp guys and, you know, the guys like that who took, who take themselves very seriously and she takes herself very seriously and good on her. You know, like I say, uh, that blood sport show uh, and, and yeah, GCW in general was, was rife with issues, but, she was a name, Hare and Layla Hirsch, that I heard a lot of talk of uh, Americans who'd not seen much of them before. So I'd love to see a follower, a Layla Hirsch, and, and get more bookings like that, you know, turn up in an AEW and get more uh, more prominent play in places like that because she's supremely talented and, yeah, uh, is somebody you could add to any company's women's roster, really. So, yeah, much more excited to see her outside the NXT UK system than within it. And uh, last story, um, I mean... Uh, before we get out of here, PCW seemingly can't catch a break with their uh, spiritual home of the Evoke Nightclub in Preston closing its doors. I mean, if that wasn't enough, they had announced a show in Blackburn, but turns out after setting the show up, the venue had an exclusive wrestling contract with some American wrestling tribute show. So, I mean, Benno, not a great time for uh, PCW, is it? The tribute's a back, Martin. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> All these people talking about Brit Rez is dead, and guess what? The tributes are going, coming back. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to see The Rock. We're going to see uh, Frankie Sloan as X-Pac again. We're going to see fake canes all over the place. <laughs> Maybe we'll get an Undertaker 3 um, after Undertaker 2 is now retired. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a sign of the times, isn't it? The PCW are getting booted for a, for a tribute show. Um, probably says how far PCW have fallen as, uh, mm. as much as anything. And Yeah, you mentioned there that uh, Evoc is, uh, is gone. What a, what a great venue that was. That was... That was like probably for for years my absolute favorite place to go watch wrestling, um, as far as you know atmosphere goes and just that that again that bar culture that was tied into to, to what Brit Res was at a time. Uh, yeah, it feels like uh, as PCW kind of stumbles on and somehow still exists, it's it's not really the PCW it was back in the day. But I feel like yeah, another big piece of that has died really, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a real sad thing. Yeah, I agree, and it certainly, uh, you know, it'll certainly be interesting to see what PCW should do. I think they were on about running a show in uh, Stockport, maybe, so, uh, you know, we'll see if they can find a, a new spiritual home. And um, we're coming to the end here, and Rich, thanks so much for coming on, uh, being a long-time listener of yours, and it was great having you on the show this month. And uh, where can people check out some more of your stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. This was awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm on, I, I work at the Pro Wrestling Torch, so feel free if you search Pro Wrestling Torch, particularly Livecast or Dailycast, I guess that's our new uh, name for the shows. Uh, my, my show is The Deep Dive with Rich Fan. I usually spend an hour on Saturdays, sometimes more, sometimes five or six hours. 
if a promoter decides to keep talking, <laughs> uh, where, where I, uh, I, I sit down with folks. It's either interviews. We, we go on to deep subjects. We kind of tear down the, the news of the day, news of yesteryear. And then I also participate in the East Coast Cast VIP, where myself and Travis Bryant, my host, go through uh, the wrestling world as it is, politics, life, sports, books, whatever we have on our minds. And that usually goes uh, about two hours. And then I also serve as co-host with Sean Radican on Radican Worldwide, where we focus primarily on independent wrestling in the United States and, of course, uh, Japan. When it comes to the Brit Rest, I usually tag team with my main man, Will Cooling, on the deep dive. And you usually hear him, especially during lockdown, at least once a month. Mm. We try to hit some issues of the day, try to talk about race, diversity, inclusion, equity, not the uh, group there in the U.K., but just for everyone. Uh, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rich underscore fan, F-A-N-N. Yeah, definitely some uh, great audio there. So completely recommend going out and checking that out. And uh, Benno, what, what have you been up to this past month? Yeah, um, plenty of ROH retro content you can check out. Uh, obviously, did uh, the Up Next Patreon that I teased last month uh, with, uh, with Braden and Davey talking uh, Samoa Joe in Ring of Honor as title run. So you can check out that on their Patreon feed as well as Bushby and Thompson, uh, our companion show where we did 2007 uh, Manhattan Mayhem with uh, with our pal Reg. That was a lot of fun too. So check that. That was on this very feed if you hadn't. And yeah, other than that, I'm going to be doing, to, to give it the trifecta of uh, of retro ROH content, I'm uh, going to be on one Alan Farrell's podcast. I don't think I've announced that anywhere yet. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, next week now uh, when this comes out, talking uh, a fun little uh, ring of honor subject that people can uh, check out over at uh, Rich's home on, uh, on PW Torch. So yeah, look forward to that. And as usual, um, you can find me on Grapple Spotlight, JP and, uh, and Gareth held down the fort last week, but I'll be back. Uh, we're doing a weekend show. And then hopefully we'll be uh, closer to uh, to back on schedule uh, with the normal shows. So, yeah, check that out uh, at Crapple Up on Twitter as well. Yeah, it was so much fun going back and looking at that ROH show. And I've, I've been doing a deep dive myself recently, uh, going back and watching all these ROH shows that I missed around the time. So, yeah, it's been great looking back at those. And, uh, yeah, me and Andrew will be back in the next couple of weeks with episode four of Bushwin Thompson's Wrestling Adventure. And then me and Benno will be back. Um, with a 2020 wrestling review at the start of January with uh, some special guests on there. And, of course, all roads lead to postwrestling.com. We've had some cracking interviews this past week, Andrew with uh, Julia Smokes and then uh, Pollock with Mauro Ranallo. Some great interviews are certainly worth checking out. And um, happy holidays, everyone. Thanks for listening throughout the year. And, uh, yeah, me and Benno will be back um, next year in 2021. So we'll catch you then. <laughs>